Shabbat Shalom. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. So as we dive into this parsha, I'm particularly aware that this summer, my family and I had the opportunity to raise a butterfly from egg to caterpillar to chrysalis to butterfly and then release it in Central Park. We met, we met a butterfly lady who showed us how to do all this. So as we're reading this parasha, which talks about rituals of harvest, I'm particularly aware of how, as humans, we have such pleasure when we get to grow something to fruition. The name of this week's parasha, Kitavo, means when you come. And it refers to when you come to the land. And it, is, it gives the context when the people come to the land and begin to plant and harvest. And the first ritual that we hear about in this parasha is a ritual of gratitude for the gift of the land. It is a ritual uh, in perpetuity called the ritual of bikurim, the first fruits. So it's interesting that this is really the ritual for Shavuot. We're reading it at almost Sukkot time. And it tells a quote that we say in the Passover Seder. So we're kind of standing in this weird calendar vortex right here. Every year, the one who reaps a harvest is to come to the altar of the whole people, the shrine where the divine presence dwells, with a basket of first fruits. And this is the, to be the first produce that their land has yielded. And at the altar, the farmer makes a declaration, telling the whole story of the Hebrew people, how we were wanderers in Canaan, we went down and became slaves in Egypt, and God freed us, and we were given a land flowing with milk and honey. And the declaration begins, my father was a wandering Aramean and went down to Egypt with few numbers and sojourned there. There's a way, really, that it's a refugee story. So we could try to envision this ritual, but I've actually seen it. I've had the privilege of being part of a Bikurim ritual uh, at the Isabel Friedman Jewish Retreat Center. It was innovated by Sarah Shamira Chandler, um, who is an uh, environmental activist and ritualist and a recent ordinee of the Kohanet Hebrew Priestess Institute. And she created a first fruit ceremony uh, that has now taken place four or five times. And it involves uh, a procession of people and goats. There's a big goat parade. <laughs> And, and a chuppah with a basket of first fruits under it, and they're not from the supermarket, they were grown on that land. So the farmers that actually grew the, the, the uh, vegetables, you know, bring the basket of radishes or whatever it is. And uh, there's an offering of two loaves of bread, just like in the temple on Shavuot. And everyone gets a piece of the harvest to hold during the procession. And we make the biblical declaration that uh, I just recited. We make kiddush, we dance, and then we eat amazing food that was made only from that land. So goat cheese from those, from those goats and, and vegetables from, from that land. It's such a connected event. It's so full of joy. Um, it's one of my favorite moments of my year. Uh, and it really is a, a ceremony that's pulled out of the page of it, pages of antiquity and made alive. So I didn't tell you one piece of the first fruits ritual. Um, it's the part I always play when I'm there. It's like my part. And I know I have to give it up someday, but soon I will. But I love it so much. I get to hold the first barley sheaf of the year and wave it in the six directions. So 
So this is actually a ritual our ancestors did on the second day of Passover, but since we don't do it on Passover anymore, we've incorporated it into the Bikurim uh, procession. And according to the Mishnah, just as we wave the Luav, which we will soon see, uh, in the six directions, the first sheaf of barley also was waved that way, and also the loaves of bread on Shavuot. Um, so I, I've always been fascinated by this waving ritual. In fact, when the Torah says vahinif, that the, the priest would wave an offering, this is probably exactly what they're referring to, is like this. So why do we do this waving? Well, when I was a child, and also when I was in rabbinical school, I was told that the waving means that God is everywhere. Right? And we are acknowledging God's presence in all the different directions. And this is good. Uh, and I want to give you an additional meaning. I will share with you a story that, to me, uh, gives additional meaning to the, to the waving ritual. So there's a tale in the Talmud, uh, this is both in the Babylonian and Jerusalem Talmud, that King David goes out prospecting to find the right spot to build the temple. Now he's looking around for the right spot, he comes to the field of Aravna, he purchases the field, and he's looking for the right spot to lay uh, the, the foundation for the temple. And he begins to dig. He comes to a place, he decides this is the place, and he begins to dig. And he digs, and he digs, and he digs, and eventually he comes upon an immense stone. So you know, you know how when you're weeding and you come, in, you know, you come to the stone, what do you try to do? Right? right, you try to move it. So that's what he does. He begins to try to lift the stone, and the stone immediately says, don't touch me. So I assume it takes him a moment to recover, and then <laughs> David says, why? And the stone says, because I am blocking the mouth of the deep. I am the foundation stone, and I was set here to guard the earth and prevent the primordial waters from rising and washing everything away. And so the stone basically says, I'm the plug in the cosmic bathtub, right? And if you pull me out, bad things will happen. But does David listen? He does not. He lifts the rock. And immediately, the primordial waters rise up and begin to flood the earth. And David does not know what to do. This is a you know, leadership crisis. David does not know what to do to stop the waters from flooding the earth. So he calls out for help. And his advisor, Ahitophel, who seems to be hanging around for some reason, wades through the floodwaters and comes to his aid and gives him a shard of pottery and says, write the divine name on this shard and throw it into the waters and the waters will subside. And David has a halachic question. Right, at, the, at this moment of crisis, David said, is it permitted to write God's name on a pottery shard to be used in this way? And as the floodwaters continue to rise, Ahitophel says, yes. <laughs> and so King David writes down the divine name on the shard and throws it into the water, and the waters subside. But now there's another problem. The waters completely subside. The waters vanish into the depths under the earth, and there is no water. And life begins to dry up. And David is once again faced with 
the necessity of finding a solution, and he begins to sing the 15 psalms known as Shirei Hamalot, the songs of ascent. And for each song that he sings, the water comes up a little bit. And by the end of the 15th psalm, he has come to the right level of water in the world, and he stops singing, right? And all the underground reservoirs are filled, and the springs are at the right level, and everything is okay, and the world is saved. And the stone remains exactly where it is. He doesn't move it anymore. And it becomes the foundation stone beneath the temple. And some say that it is the stone on which the high priest makes the offering on Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies. And some say that it is the stone deep, deep under the temple. That when Jonah is in the whale, like Jonah actually visits the stone. So this story suggests right, that we're living in a big air bubble. Right? And that all around us right, is this chaotic, watery stuff, right? And we are living in this safe place that God has created, right, by plugging, right, by plugging the hole, with a, right, the putting in the foundation stone and making, a, and making this world safe for us. And Jews continue to imagine this, that the world exists within a circle that needs to be protected from chaos, Sefer Yetzirah, an ancient book of Jewish mysticism, no one knows exactly how old it is, but maybe 3rd, 4th, 5th century, something like that, tells us that when God created the world, God has to seal the world. And the world is sealed in the six directions, just like waving the lulav or the barley sheaf. And each direction is sealed with three letters of God's name. God's name has four letters in it, but only three of them are unique. Right? One of them, the He, repeats. Right? yud He and vav He. Right? So the He repeats. So it's only yud He and Vav. And with combinations of those three letters, God seals the six directions. Above is sealed with yud He vav Below with He vav yud East with vav yud He. North with He yud vav North. South is with Yud Vav He, and West with Vav He Yud. Just as a magician in the ancient world would have made a circle around ritual to protect it, God cast the sacred circle around the world using these six seals in each of the directions. And each of them is holding life in, right, like the foundation stone. So, louder. So if we use the parallel of this sealing ritual, it gives us another way to think about Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, and the waving in the six directions. That we're acting on behalf of God to seal the world. That we are making a sacred circle within which we commit to try to make life safe, to grow, and to flourish. So maybe one of the things we are saying when we wave the lulav, as we will do, is that at the center of this community, this existence, is the place of divine presence. And this is a place of abundance, and this is a place of protection and love, and other intentions can find the door. We want this to be a place of peace. 
Well, the reason we have to have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur before we have Sukkot is that we haven't always kept that circle so whole. Right? We have been King David. Right? I'm raising my hand. I, I know others of you have too. We knew about the foundation stone, but we moved it anyway. Right? We moved it by allowing pollution and fossil fuels to harm our world. Right? We moved it by not caring about making the world safer species of animals and plants. We moved it by allowing the chaos of war and hatred and bigotry. And even on an individual level, right? even in the intimacy of our homes and our relationships, we haven't always made the sacred circle our priority. We haven't always sealed it as a place of peace. And the floodwaters come in. But the story suggests to us that it's not too late and that we can renew the seals. Long ago when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur to purify the inner shrine, that may have been exactly the intention of that ritual, to renew the protection that surrounded creation and to bring blessing back to the circle of life. And perhaps this implies that we have a responsibility both literally to protect the boundaries of the earth and provide for the needs of its creatures, and emotionally and spiritually, to renew the seals around the sacred circle of our lives, to hold what matters at the center, and to keep out what makes for alienation and chaos and violence. And perhaps this responsibility is one of the reasons our parasha mentions that the first thing that people must do as they enter the land is to build an altar of unhewn stones and make an offering. And they're to set up stones at the boundary of the land with the words of the Torah inscribed upon them. So the first thing they do is not consume the good things of the land. The first thing they do is express gratitude. The stones represent the setting of new sacred boundaries. And they are a sign of the groundedness and gratitude and wisdom that must guide us whenever we plant and harvest and wherever we live. So we're now heading into the season of the High Holy Days and Sukkot, when we will offer gratitude and pray for the health and well-being of the world and reflect on our year. Our ancestors understood these as days when we can profoundly affect the fate of the cosmos. And what we decide to do with the coming year will in fact matter to everyone and to us. So I encourage us, as we participate in the ritual of these holy days, to see ourselves as renewers of the seals that God has set on creation. And I want to parenthetically note that there's going to be a wonderful event called Light the Way, a multi-faith prayer and musical rally to support Pope Francis's call to world leaders for climate action. It is taking place the day after Yom Kippur uh, in Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza at 4.30 on September 24th. So if you want to be seal keepers, that's one opportunity. We're healers of our planet in so many different ways, and our communities, and our circles of relationship. So as we speak our prayers in the next few weeks, and blow our shofars and wave our luloves, I invite us to have the intention to heal the boundaries that have been broken and complete the circles that have been cracked. I invite us to make strong sacred space, not only in shul, but out of it, 
to gently ask the obstacles to take themselves elsewhere, and to hold love at the center in everything that we do, and to demand that our societies hold love at the center in everything that is done in our name. So I wish you a Shana Tova, a good year, a year in which the world is sealed in the Book of Life for peace. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.